Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles, yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible, then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas, quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Guys with Bibles. I'm Lee. And I'm Sean. And Scott is on hamster duty and I guess wasn't able to join us. Yeah, I uh, I picked up, he, he had hamsters. Uh, they, they told him both were like male or both were female. Well, it turns out that was wrong. And <laughs> he now has like 24 hamsters. And he, you should see the setup he has. He has like five cages connected by tubes, and it—it's—it's. Oh it's, I think he—it's a problem. I think I think he has a problem now. He's like animal hoarding hamsters, and he's got to find a way to offload them. But who really wants hamsters anymore? But I know. But I I got a couple for my kids, and I just brought them home and got them in the cage, and I'm hoping the cat doesn't eat them. So. You know, actually, we could do, let's do a favor for Scott. If there's anyone out there who has pet snakes, these hamsters would make great food for your snake. Oh, and they're, so the, the if, babies are like, maybe like two inches long, so they're. Yeah, they look they look completely scrumptious, yeah. especially for a snake. So. so if there's anybody out there with pet snakes or any other sort of reptiles that, that must eat flesh, go ahead and drop us a line on Twitter. Or piranhas. Or, uh, e- or email us, or piranhas, that's true, I didn't think about that. Yeah, because I think these would make a pretty great meal for a for a uh, cold blooded reptile near you. Now, see, I feel like now forgive me if someone listening has pet piranhas, but I feel like only sociopaths have pet piranhas. Probably, <laughs> I would. I think they'd need a pretty big tank too. Yeah, Don't they like yeah. to swim pretty far. Yeah, they they need a. I I grew up around fish tanks, and uh, let me tell you. Those are pretty good sized fish for, mm-hmm. and they need a lot of room. I bet you need at least a fifty gallon tank for a couple of them. Maybe for somebody who lives in a tank in in a scuba suit all the time, so like you could live in the tank with your fish. Then maybe they could they could have a uh, a pet piranha. Yeah, but then I, I'd be checking my six all the time. Oh yeah, I could be dinner. <laughs> or at least my foot could be. All right. What are we talking about tonight? So we are in our next episode on Theophanies, since we kind of kicked that off a couple weeks ago. And uh, we are looking at an example of a Theophany, potentially a Christophany, uh, in Genesis 15, where God appears to Abram. 
it is pretty short. It's only 21 verses long. Do we want to just go ahead and read it? Uh, sure. You do you want to read it out of the CSB, or do you want me to read it out of a real translation, the NASB? I, I would prefer it out of the CSB. Well, fine. You do you. All right, so all of chapter 15 of Genesis. Why not? All right. <clears throat> After these... Buckle up, kids. <laughs> After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house as Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for four hundred years in a land that does not belong to them, and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions." But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring. From the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Catamites, Hethites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. This here ends the reading. You did so good on those names. Thank you. I stood up and sang the Hallelujah Chorus right there. I just Hallelujah. But so that that's uh, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. All right, well, question one is, how does the theophany fit into the context of the chapter? Who wrote such a dumb question? <laughs> I think his name was Leroy. <laughs> Leroy, Leroy Jenkins! Jenkins! Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we're getting this theophany here, and if for, for our less enlightened listeners, the theophany occurs in verses 17 and 18. Um, so what's what's going on before that is God is reaching out to Abram and giving him a promise, uh, specifically promising him an heir, 
because Abram was in the kind of sticky situation from the time that he had no natural-born children. He and Sarah were childless. And so the, the person who was going to take up after take up for him after he was gone was going to be this Eliezer of Damascus, who, you know, of course was a, a foreigner, uh, but then it also at the same time uh, may not have actually been a real relative, or if he was, he was uh, something like a nephew or a second cousin or something like that, a, right. a, a, a shirt tail relative, so to speak. Um, and it, it just wasn't, it wasn't the the proper way that a man would want to uh, leave his uh, estate. So God gives him this incredibly gracious promise uh, that not only was he going to have an heir, he was going to have a lot of descendants uh, through that heir, um, and then he was going to have land as well, and he was going to be blessed because of all that. So we talk about the fact that uh, that Yahweh promised to Abram land, seed, and blessing, and that's what we get here. So God's making this promise, and then God comes into the scene and does something very specific in connection to the uh, to the promise. So this is a, just a whole bunch of promise going on here in chapter 15. Yeah, and the thing is how, how Abram uh, asks these questions, it's not really doubt, because it, he, it says in uh, verse 6 that he belie- Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So it's not that he was doubting God or not believing God's promises, but, you know, there's the human factor here of he's concerned, you know. So mm-hmm. that's why he's asking these questions, you know, how can I know that I'm going to possess this land or, you know, how... How do I, how I know? Gonna, how's this going to happen? Yeah, how, how's this going to happen exactly? And and God has never been one to just lay out his whole plan no. for for his people no. to, to hear and understand. Because we wouldn't be able to understand it. That would be the problem. We're asking for something we would never, we wouldn't be able to handle. We can't handle the truth. Yeah, we, we can't, not the whole truth. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that about his questions too, because uh, we can take it either as, obviously, he believed God, so he wasn't doubting God. So we can read it definitely as um, him asking for more detail, for confirmation, uh, maybe even as like um, eagerly um, looking for more, maybe even further blessing. You know, God's blessed him here, but he wants to know, is there going to be a a similar miraculous occurrence that's going to, to result in the delivery of the land to me? What's the miracle that's going to come into the birth of this heir of Abram and Sarah's old age? Well, God's not going to get that far. He's just going to tell him there's a promise, and I'm going to I'm going to come through with it. Just be patient and believe. And then also he mentions the 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Mm-hmm. So after he says, "I promise you, this is going to happen," but you know your offspring will become basically a nation at the, by this point, and for 400 years they're going to be slaves to another, to in another land that is not theirs, and I'll bring them back. I promise I will. It is kind of funny for a, a blessing to have such a significant uh, down note in it. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty heavy downer, you know. And it, it, well, the CSB says uh, they will be enslaved and oppressed. I don't know what the NASB says, but... You know, definitely. Uh, let's see which which verse is that. Uh, what is it? Thirteen. 
Let's see. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed yeah. 400 years. Yeah. So oppressed meaning like uh, being afflicted or bowed down. Yeah. And then, of course, enslaved would be indentured servitude. But uh, it's funny. I'm looking at a uh, literal word here, and uh, the Hebrew words are pretty relatively similar enslaved is avad and oppressed is ana so they they yeah. share some they share some uh i don't know maybe some roots there i'm yeah. no i'm in no way a hebrew scholar but um it it kind of reminds me of the uh it's a cousin to the parallelism or the the repetition for emphasis you know where yeah. jesus says truly truly i say right being enslaved and oppressed means this is going to be some serious strife that your descendants are going to go through, and they're right. going to be in it for 400 years. They're going to be enslaved and oppressed. But in the end, God promised that he would hold that nation that enslaved them accountable and bring them back to the land promised to Abraham and his descendants. And not only that, we have to remember also, in connection with this passage, that uh, Paul goes as far to, to say under revelation from God that when Yahweh is delivering the message here about Abram having an heir, that's pointing directly, you know, playing the long game, uh, pointing directly to Christ who right. is to come. Exactly. So that's a Christological promise too. It's salvific, not only just uh, about land. Land, seed, and blessing. Land, seed, and blessing, bro. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Next question, then. So we're going to scoot down now to specifically verses 17 and 18. What is the significance of, and I wrote, the smoking pot or smoking oven, the flaming torch, and passing between the pieces? I kind of combined the smoking pot and flaming torch. Obviously, you don't respect God's word. (laughs) Well, I just answered it all as one. Um, Faithful and true. But the CSB study Bible... Because I had no, I I I had no idea like how to go about saying, well, this represents this or whatnot. So I decided to see what a study Bible would say. What it said was the smoking pot and flaming torch could have represented the essential aspects or attributes of God. Uh, the smoke may have represent God's divine inscrutability, as we cannot understand God fully. Wow, that was a lot of syllables for you. I know it it hurt my head when I read it. <laughs> and then um uh while the flame represents God's power and holiness and that's just one interpretation I'm there's That's what I said too if that helps. There's there's many usually fire when associated with God represents well it could represent many different things I guess but usually I think of holiness or pouring out, I guess, wrath, but that in this context wouldn't make sense. But I think also kind of a, the visible, the visible flamingness is, uh, included in some theophanies, not just this one. Yeah. And it it also made me think of the burning bush. I was just about, yeah, actually I was going to go there too, that it it just shows the otherness of this appearance. So you're not going to mistake this as just a dude that you don't know walking through the thing. No, like the thing's on fire, but it's not consumed. Right. You know, that's not a normal bush out in the, 
in the desert that's on fire but not being burned up. So it, it's showing, you know, otherness. It's totally different than what you would normally see. And I don't know that there's a better explanation of holiness than just to say it's completely other. And than, I'm, I'm going to go ahead we, and use the word supernatural. Absolutely. It, it's, it's beyond the, you know, what naturally would occur. And, it's kind of uh, what the word is meant to describe. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. And I'm going to get on a soapbox for a minute, and I, I it bothers me when there's certain... Do it. You're very short. <laughs> I am. <laughs> it bothers me when I hear Christians completely, like like blow off the word supernatural or supernatural appearances. I, I can't stand that because I mean the, the whole like linchpin of Christianity is the resurrection of Christ. And <laughs> right. That's probably the most supernatural <laughs> that the, the second person of the Trinity was born in human flesh uh, by a woman that had never known a man uh, lived a completely holy life, died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven. Like, it doesn't get more supernatural than that. Right. I don't like not liking the word supernatural, so... Well, and you know, that was that was the first sign of the descent into liberalism in the church is when they started explaining away the supernatural aspects of, of the Bible. Right. The miracles that are demonstrated in the pages of Scripture, um, the... Even so far as, like, denying the flood... Or or denying that certain people wrote yeah. certain books. Yeah, you know, that, I hear all the time thing. from Christians. You know, the the flood is just another version of a story that's told by so many different cultures all over the world, mm-hmm. and that's not true. No, just because it contains elements does not necessarily make it a, a carbon copy of some pagan tale. No, it, what if the the pagan tales were based off of ours? Right, you you know it would be hard to it would be hard to authenticate because nothing else, no that other would, book in history has the same kind of historical uh, manuscript evidence for its existence as the Bible. So sure, you can compare it to all these pagan folk stories that we think we know about, but the only one that we can document its passage through history is the Bible. So you might as well yeah. treat it as authoritative first and give it the benefit of the doubt because Absolutely. obviously it's earned it. <laughs> <laughs> Calm um, down, man. I know I'm I'm getting heated over here. Okay, so Glow Ray. <laughs> <laughs> uh I wanted to mention about about the pot or the oven. Uh actually yeah. in the Nasby it says oven. Um when I read that it immediately kind of struck me about the refining characteristics of, of right. God. Yeah. Because we, you would use a pot or an oven to cook something down, but it also reminded me of of talking about being refined in a furnace, uh, yeah, precious like, metals being refined. Yeah, being purified to its purest form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then for the, the the second, are you done? Oh I yeah, just, I'm done. I on just that. I just ripped right in there and interrupted you. Do it, do it. Anyway, for the second uh, part, or the, the passing between the pieces, the, the halves of the animals. Now, see, I always have, first off, I always have this pictured as he takes the pieces of animals and he leans them up against each other. So there's like a tunnel that you have to walk through. But that's probably, oh. <laughs> that's probably not right. They're probably just laying on the ground. 
Yeah, they lay in a formation on the ground, and then but there's I, a path I have between like, them. I have like the this picture of like like carcass carcass arbors. a carcass tunnel. He's <laughs> just made a tunnel of carcass that he has to crawl. Which through. is so metal, but it it actually yeah I, it reminds me it's it's like Shawshank Redemption, but instead of a sewer <laughs> tunnel, it's just like a pile of carcass. Yes. Yeah. Well, honestly, right. I mean that would be an easy way to to show that you did walk through because you'd be covered in in uh, viscera. Yeah. That's um, a, that's a great word. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, by passing through those pieces, uh, the Lord was obligating Himself to fulfill the promises of that covenant, because symbolically He's saying He Himself would be split into you know symbolically if he didn't mm-hmm. follow through and usually both it, you know it was customary both when a co- when a covenant was cut like this uh both parties of the covenant would walk through literally sp- cut because they cut an animal open. yeah that's that's where <laughs> the term came from i believe yeah uh-huh. but uh both parties would walk through those pieces of animals you know so that they could each promised to fulfill their end of the covenant. Well, mm-hmm. Abraham never walked through it. It was right. un- he was asleep. Right. God by himself passed through putting all that responsibility of fulfilling the covenant on himself. So that that You know there there's the actually a, an an ancient near east um tradition from that time uh called the Suzerain Treaty. Yeah. Where, yeah, that's that's what we're talking about here is the Suzerain Treaty. I believe uh, Douglas Van Dorn in Covenant Theology yep. talked about yeah, that. Yeah, he talked about those. Uh, and, and there were some where if, a, um, if the king made a treaty with somebody, obviously the king didn't have to walk through the, the, uh, the pieces because he didn't hold any risk. Right. He, was making the, he was making the treaty... And the the person he was making the treaty with had all the responsibility of keeping it. So then that party, the the receiving party of the covenant, would be walking through the pieces. So it's interesting that we have the suzerain treaty here flipped on its head, where the king, Yahweh, is not only making the treaty with Abram, I mean, you know, the covenant with Abram. Uh, I'd rather use the word covenant. Yahweh is making the covenant with Abram. Abram's asleep. And Yahweh's the one walking through the pieces. So he is is essentially taking on both sides of the suzerain treaty. He's not only making the treaty as the as the king, as the suzerain or sovereign, but he's also taking on the risk of keeping it also. And I think for all the talk that people say about the Old Testament having no grace in it and that almost that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, hey, what's up, Marcion? Uh, obviously this would, would be one, just one of many evidences that that is not true, that God has always been gracious. And even though this is not the covenant of grace, especially, you know, uh, since we are Baptists, we're not going to call this the beginning of the new covenant, but, um, this is a gracious covenant. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I mean, if, if you look through the covenants besides the well, towards the end of uh, the covenant of works, there's a little bit of grace sprinkled in. But the rest of the covenants building up to the new covenant are bait, or the foundation is a gracious action on the part of God. 
and it's it's pretty interesting that way. But that's so true, though. And I the only reason I know that is because I'm writing a blog series on the covenants. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Actually, there should already be, by the time this comes out, there should already be three out in that series. Oh, another one posted today, too, didn't it? Yeah. yeah oh, one I forgot about today. that. I didn't send you the link, so my bad on that. Yeah, I should be responsible for myself. <laughs> All right, do you want to read question three? Yes. Did making a covenant require a face-to-face-ish meeting? Could God have just declared a covenant without this ritual? Why or why not? I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I said, sure, he he could have declared it without the ritual. I mean, he's God. But in human terms, that covenant needed a physical aspect so that Abram's faith could be uh, assured, reassured, because he was starting to uh, become concerned with those questions that he was asking God. And so God and, and God has always operated through ways that we can understand physical means. And he still does this today through his word, the waters of baptism and the bread and wine of the Lord's supper. Oh, we got the ordinances. It, it was, Boom. and it was, and it was also a custom of the time, you know, when, when a covenant was cut like this, that both parties be present. So, right. So he's, he's operating at Abram's level so that he's better able to be reassured and to understand his promises will be kept. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, you know, it, it's another gracious thing that God does this because God is utterly transcendent. So, you know, to, to say, to ask, could God have done this without a, a face-to-face meeting, so to speak? Uh, maybe. Although, to my, as I thought about this question, I think maybe we could say no to that because I think it might violate God's nature to do something like that. You know, I never thought about it like that, but that's, that's a good I would point. Have to, I'd have to study more about it because I, I don't believe that God would... Something as important as the promise that he makes here, which at at the center of it is the fact that he's promising the Redeemer, uh, the Messiah, to come. I think he would he would seal that deal face to face, right? Um, he's, just he's, because it's so important. It is yeah, the utterly transcendent promise. Yeah, this this the Abrahamic covenant is the covenant that jumps from the Noahic covenant, which is for almost basically all of creation, you know, Mm -hmm. all of humanity, you know, wide scope and the Abrahamic covenant. He, he focuses down on a certain man who from, from him, a certain people will come. And from that certain nation, that certain people, Jesus Christ will come. So he's, Mm -hmm. he's focusing down on, on a certain, Mm -hmm. certain group of people. That he's chosen. He's kind of zeroing in now. Right. And it would be quite strange for him not to something of something of that importance, not to show the man that he's making the covenant with exactly how serious he is about fulfilling these promises and what these promises mean. 
And, you know, there's a caveat also based on what you just said there, too, is that uh, in the next book, God is going to deliver the law to Moses. So within the law, he's giving various institutions for his people to to follow and to create, you know, including the construction of the tabernacle. But I think here in this theophany, God coming down and going through this uh, treaty covenant ritual, um, he's blessing that as an institution. If following these, uh, this ceremony, I guess, so to speak, of creating a treaty, going through this uh, procedure, if God is willing to, to, to show up and go through, uh, walk through the pieces like this, if it's important enough for God to, to take it upon himself to do that, then we need to take our covenants with each other, much lesser covenants than the one God was making, but we need to take our own covenants with each other every bit as seriously. Absolutely. Um, it, it goes back to letting your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, if we're going to say that we're going to do something or we're going to enter into an agreement with somebody else, then we need to take that seriously and be men and women of our word. Uh, back then, it included walking through the pieces of a dead animal. Today, that can be as little as a handshake or just saying, I'll do this for you right. or I'll do this with you, that kind of a thing. So I think by going to this length of setting up this theophany that God is sort of um, blessing the institution of, of making covenants, even between uh, fallen people, too. Yeah, think about the work involved in setting this up. I mean, cutting a cow in half. Oh, my word. Without power tools or anything like that. Yeah, without band hacksaws. Saws, yeah, bandsaws, nothing. That's a lot of work. Um, as, as a guy that's uh, hunted a lot and uh, cut you know, deer's heads off as I'm cleaning them. I have a bandsaw and, <laughs> and I'm sweating out there doing it like that. I can't imagine, mm-hmm. you know, using a sharp rock to, <laughs> you know, yeah, to just hack away at this beast. That, yeah. And not only the cow, you know, he had to split what a ram, a, a ram, a female goat and a turtle dove and a pigeon. So there were five total animals. So I don't believe he split the birds, did he? Uh no I'm sorry he didn't cut the birds my yeah. bad but they but were the, they were the in three there. big an- which would have been easy but the three big animals he had to split in half and I just that's a lot of work you know this is an important thing so yeah uh and and it also you know reminded me too you know this treaty it was a covenant in blood and it would be ultimately fulfilled in the shedding of Jesus blood on the cross. Right. So the the covenant was made with blood, and it was fulfilled in blood. So it was a nice closed loop there. You can see God's hand at work there. It's like, you know, the you're being covered by the blood all the way through. God walked through the blood sacrifice that established the covenant promising the Son, and then the Son's own blood would, would cover. not only, And, of course, this wouldn't just be for Abraham's heirs of the flesh, but it would be Abraham's heirs according to the Spirit, too. Yeah, children of the promise. Children of the promise, but, which is uh, much better than children of the corn. <laughs> I didn't like that one a whole lot. It it's a little scary for me. Uh, Existentially scary. Now, the Mosaic covenant. I know we're not talking about that, but although there wasn't really blood involved in the actual covenant itself, 
the setting up of him getting his people out out of Egypt to make that covenant with him, there was the shedding of blood in the Passover lamb. So it, at some point in every covenant, there is shedding of blood. Either I think you pro- had a blog about the importance of blood, didn't you? Yeah. Life we, li- we believe a bloody religion. Okay, uh, question four. And we, we didn't touch on this, we just mentioned it briefly, but it was, is there a reason why Abram was put into a deep sleep? Okay, so this one stumped me. Um, first, I'll say that what I initially thought was, okay, God put him to sleep so that he wouldn't see, you know, his his glory and possibly mm-hmm. and his holiness and possibly die from it because Abram's a sinner. He can't, you know physically mm-hmm. be in the presence of the holy God of Israel. So that that's what I initially thought. And then I found out that the same Hebrew word for deep sleep that's used here is tardima. Yep. Uh, and that also is the same word that is used when Adam was put into a deep sleep when Boom. he created Eve. <laughs> so Boom, I don't boom, know boom, if that boom. has any connection whatsoever with this context of this passage, but I just thought it was interesting. I personally think it does, and I, and, and part of part of the reason, uh, practically, that the that that Abram needed to be asleep was it was going to be obvious Abram was not a party of this covenant. God was the enactor and the recipient. You know, right. God was the one walking through the pieces. Abram wasn't even awake to see it happen. Right, he's, he was. Pu- he's purely a beneficiary of this covenant. Right, God, uh, he 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 constructed the covenant, and he's also putting all the responsibility of that covenant on himself. Mm-hmm. Abram's only job is to have faith and believe and receive the promises God's made. Mm-hmm. So. I forget I forget the exact passage, but it, this is another blog you wrote. But uh, where where God told the people of Israel just rest and wait. Oh yeah, and I'll, be, and I'll be deliver. silent and or be still and stand silent or stand yeah, still was, and be something like that. Yeah, it probably what, sounds like that in CSB all clunky like, but in um. <laughs> in uh, actually when I was writing that blog, I was using the yeah, NASB. You were using the NASB. Yeah. Well, whatever we can overlook that, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but I I do think the the connection when it comes to the deep sleep is Adam was put in a deep sleep when he was given kind of the the crowning gift for him uh, in the garden, which was Eve, because um, Adam was put in the deep sleep so that God could take the rib and uh, and make woman. Um, Abram is also. Uh, put to sleep here because he's about to receive an incredible blessing uh, through the promise of God. Right. So yeah, maybe there is a and connection. He, even though he, we know he believed God, it said that uh, above um, in verse six, but he, he received the whole thing entirely by grace. Right. He didn't, he didn't earn it. He was asleep. You know, Adam didn't earn the gift of Eve. He was asleep and God gave her to him. So Abram was asleep, and God delivered a covenant to him. Now, see, I was so stumped on this and wasn't sure which direction to go. I consulted my good friend, Matthew Henry. Yay! And 
his, dude is so eloquent. Oh yeah, his his one volume commentary on on these verses. He says, um, "This isn't the whole thing. It's just kind of what I wrote down." But not a common sleep, but a divine ecstasy. The doors of the body were locked up that the soul might be private and retired and might act the more freely. With this sleep, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. This was designed to, one, strike an awe upon the spirit of Abram and to possess him with a holy reverence. Uh, holy fear prepares the soul for holy joy. The spirit of bondage makes way for the spirit of adoption. And then I didn't write down the second point because it didn't really have much to do with the question. So, <laughs> But I thought that... So really, Matthew Henry, what he's trying to get at is... I don't think Matthew Henry actually think he... You know, God knocked him out. I think it was more of a an altered state. It kind of sounds like... <laughs> hmm. Of some point. Which I don't know a if trance. I agree with. Yeah, a trance or some something. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but it just well, it doesn't sound like, you know, it would it be wasn't consistent just... with with Peter's experience in Acts 10 where he's on the on the rooftop and he goes into a trance and sees the vision of the great sees sheet, a, the sheet with all the animals and Yeah. Yeah. Kill and eat. And that right there is where Peter discovered bacon. Yes. <sighs> Thank God for bacon. Delicious providential meat candy. The pig is a magical animal. It has so many different delicious meats that come off of it. It is. Only have, only an animal that intelligent could be so tasty. <laughs> it, you have sausage, you have bacon, you have ham, you have oh, pork yeah. chops. You've got you've got like a quarter of a of a Cuban sandwich right there. Yeah. That animal. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. Oh, man, I love but, a Cuban sandwich. You ever so, had one? I have. Oh, so good. They're very good. Anyway, <laughs> I could muse about the Cuban sandwich for the rest of the episode, but I'll <laughs> refrain. But i that's all I have for that question is that Matthew Henry yeah. quote and the, uh, the Hebrew word tardama linked with Adam and the creation of Eve. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good, I think that's a good way to do it. So I guess to, to wrap up our uh, reverie here. Um, so we have, we have this theophany where God is solely, he by himself making a covenant with Abram, promising him land, seed and blessing. And uh, Abram isn't even a party to it. He's uh, sitting there in a trance, possibly asleep and God himself is walking through the pieces that cement the covenant. Um, so this is a gracious covenant, and uh, and God would do no less than to actually come himself and bless the institution of making solid promises and uh, fulfilling them, which he would do ultimately in the person and work of Jesus Christ. All right, Sean, where can they find us? Well, you can go to our website, guyswithbibles.com. You can listen to the podcast on there and read our blogs um, as well. We get two out a week. Hopefully it continues to be that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, 
it's come close a couple times. Yeah. I, yeah. I posted one of mine out of order just because I plum forgot to schedule it. <laughs> and uh, so, and also you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or any other podcatcher of your choice. And if you do subscribe on iTunes, please remember to leave us a uh, rate and review. That that always helps us uh, get more visibility on iTunes. And you, you can go to any of the social main social medias, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Instagram, and just search Twitter. Guys with Bibles. Uh, our Twitter is hot. On fire. It's so hot. It's hot Lit, as the, the flaming torch. <laughs> that just might but, go in the bio <laughs> oh yes but uh yeah so just search guys with bibles on facebook twitter and instagram and follow us and like us and join the facebook group and if you have any questions concerns whatnot you can email us at guyswbibles at gmail.com I have a total non-sequitur question. Uh, yes. What, what pencils and notebooks are you using right now? Oh, well, I am trying to finish up this Blackwing 811. Ooh, the glow in the dark. The glow in the dark. Um, and I got about two sharpenings left before it becomes a nub for my bullet pencil. Glory. And I've also been using a general cedar point quite a bit. So yay, those are those are fantastic. Which I enjoy. Now my last blog I wrote, I used that Blackwing Natural you gave me with the extremely long point. Oh yeah. And I literally wrote a four-page blog in my moleskin, and it doesn't even look like I wrote anything with it. <laughs> I love that sharpener. So, it's the Afmat A F M A T. That's the brand Afmat, and it's actually an artist pencil uh, sharpener, electric. It actually has a rechargeable battery, so it, um, it's it's big, but it can travel too. Um, and there's there's this dial on the top that lets you choose your your point length, and uh, that goes from short to long. And so I put it all the way on long point just to see what it would do. And it just kept going and going and going and going. And I thought, oh, oh my goodness, it's like it's going to break the lead or something. And then it stopped and I pull it out. And like legitimately, it was like pulling Excalibur out of the, out of the stone. <laughs> like, what even is this thing? You're like, oh. Yeah, it kind of glowed a little bit. I'm like, is this thing divine? I don't even think I believe in that. But the notebook I'm using right now is actually a knockoff of a moleskin. For, and it's, I actually got it at Walmart. It's called an Exceed. It's a soft cover, the large soft cover no, dotted notebook. And I'm actually quite happy with it. The paper's fairly thick. Um, it's great for pencil writing. I don't know if you, I would use a fountain pen on it or anything like that it might bleed through but if you're using a pencil it's a wonderful notebook so that's what i i've been writing in that and then my my medium ruled moleskin that's what i put all my blogs in so and i'm almost filled up 
You know, so it's I'm funny gonna... you mentioned Exceed because uh, the bald Calvinist on his own podcast, Under the Nib, was just talking about Exceed notebooks on his uh I think oh it's really? His second episode, yeah, about how good they are and how inexpensive I, they are. I I love them, and really, you can't tell the difference between them and a moleskin. I think the moleskin paper is slightly better, but mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at it's going from like, and you're going from a twenty dollar moleskin to, I don't know, uh, I think like that eight dollar notebook. Yeah, the large one I got was like six or eight bucks at Walmart. Yeah, that's the one and, I bought. A while back and i still haven't used yet and it's it's a it's a great it's a great deal for a good notebook that'll last a long time so um did i give you a general's calendar pencil it's a yellow pencil with no yes, ferrule yes, i'm using did. one of those right now but i've sharpened both ends oh and i think that's Dar- gonna be my darth my... mall style <laughs> i'm sitting here flipping it around actually in my fingers right now darth mall Don't... style don't put your eye out. <laughs> you could you could shoot your eye out, kid. Uh, <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> uh, that's gonna be my blogging pencil for a while, I think, until it's gone. The problem is, once I sharpen it down, it's not gonna go into my bullet pencil very well. So I'm gonna have to you'll come have up to, with some sort of you'll strategy. have to cut you'll have to cut the one point off. <gasps> yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So, all right, well. Um, did you have anything else for the good of the order? Oh, I don't pe- think. people should go. Of course, as always, you should you should already have subscribed to the Bar Podcast oh, with yeah, Dwayne yeah. Atkinson. Shame on you if you haven't already. But if you haven't, you can redeem yourself by going and listening to at this moment as we record this the latest episode with none other than Scott and Sean of Guys with Bibles. Uh, it was a dynamic episode in which uh, Dwayne asked them about the origins of Guys with Bibles, their origins in the faith, and specifically also their origins in becoming the dirty Calvinists that they and we all are. Yes. It was a very good episode um, of a great podcast, and everybody should check that out. Dwayne's a good friend, and he's been super helpful, kind, and encouraging to us as we've tried to get this going as well. So. Mad love, big shout out. Absolutely. All right. Well, this is Guys with Bibles, and we're out.